Thank you for joining XR Home, which is India's first virtual reality focused podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Thomas Kuriakos, who's the founder of Atman Software. He's been in the gaming industry for over 20 years. Now, building a game takes a lot of time. It, it, it takes a lot of time. It, it takes an effort. It requires a big team because there's a lot of things involved when you are building a game, you know, right from uh, the game engine, the programming, the graphics, the animation, the sound, the music, the production, packaging it all together, taking it to the distributor, the gaming channel, having it all out there. It, it, it For all of that requires a huge, huge team. And this, the entire thing, Thomas, you've been doing it all yourself. And and and, and I need to tell this to my audience because I think Thomas had reached out to me a couple of uh, weeks earlier. And he reached out uh, to review his new game called BLR80. And that's when I realized that there's this Thomas Kurikos who exists in Bangalore, who's been at the forefront of gaming industry from 2000 I believe right so so Thomas really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast why don't we start with a background intro and your journey into the gaming world uh, I'm the founder and developer of Atman Software a company that I founded in 1999 to primarily focus on real-time interactive computer graphics um, and over the last two decades I've been working on games and the technologies that power them not just for games alone, but also for interactive visualizations. Uh, my latest creation is BLR-80, which is a virtual reality-based sci-fi action shooter set in the future in the city of Bangalore, India. Um, BLR-80 is currently available now um, on the Meta and Steam platforms. You've been into the gaming industry for 20 years. And like I said, I was uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, what caught my attention was, you know, while making these games you know you need an entire team of people to put together a game you know and but you've been doing this entirely on, on your own and that's what completely caught my attention talk to us about your journey you know that the 20 years you've been in, in the space and maybe if you want you know maybe you could talk about your first game coda you know maybe you could talk about that you know how did you get into it what is the game it's, it's a rubik's cube simulation right so maybe you could talk about start from then then maybe we could go progressively and get into your uh, the the other efforts and then blr80 is obviously the new one we'll get into it later we'll do a complete deep dive but i, I want to understand and i'm sure even my audience would want to understand your story because you are a single member team who's been defying all the odds and who's been in the gaming industry and you know, doing all this you know creating games putting it out for the longest time right so why don't we start with your early days in the career how you started your first game coda and maybe what's the highlights and the learnings from your first game and then maybe you can get, take, take it off from there. You know, as children, my brother and I, we were very fascinated by computer games and we would watch, um, you know, our friends, you know, play on these Game Boys and Game and & Watches and we would be very interested uh, with, you know, with video games in general. Uh, and sometime in 1996, a friend of mine uh, introduced me to this computer game called Quake. Um, which literally quaked my, you know, understanding of video games. And, uh, and ever since then, I've been fascinated with um, 3D computer graphics. Back then in 1995, when I was in college, my friends and I, we would, you know, program computer graphics, 2D computer graphics. Um, 
and then that evolved into 3D computer graphics. Um, and when we, like when I graduated, I wanted to work with uh, real-time computer graphics and uh, there weren't any studios doing that. So I decided to start one on my own. And that is how Atman Software came to be. And uh, my first product that I worked on at Atman was this simulation of a Rubik's Cube, um, wherein I wrote the, um, the 3D rendering library and uh, the gameplay and did the art and all of that. There were some friends who helped me with the art, with Coda. Uh, but yeah, it had, um, it had a custom engine and it ran on DOS. And it was a very simple engine compared to modern engine standards. And this was in the year 1999. Um, it was written for DOS and it, it had no concept of cameras. It had no concept of textures or audio. It was a simple engine which basically projected you know, 3D points uh, onto a 2D screen. And the cube itself was modeled on paper and then the values were entered onto the screen, onto the computer and you had the cube. One interesting thing that the that that Coda had uh, was you know, real-time perpixel lighting. Um, you could dynamically move lights around and you could see how the cube was lit and all of that. And apart from that, from a gameplay point of view, it had cube solving um, you know, AI. And that was my first game. Pretty soon after that, I started working on IO, which was a Windows-based game. And I wrote the engine for IO. And IO was a 3D side-scroller. And unlike the engine for Coda, this one was more comparable to modern um, engines. Uh, it, it had the concept of cameras and textures and audio and you know everything that goes with the rendering pipeline, like you know clipping and frustum coloring and all of that, right? And it had skeletal animation and real-time lights and shadows and all of that. And that was I. Um, again, that game took about six years to make because I had all this learning to make. Uh, uh, you know, how to program on the DOS and writing the 3D engine and then learning how to model and learning how to animate and texture and all of those things. And I was released for both the, for both Windows and the Mac. It was, the engine was programmed for both the, both the PowerPC based Macs and, uh, and, you know, and Intel Windows machines. And after all this, by the time I'd finished IO, I was really, um, you know, I was really tired of making games, and I, I, I started, um, you know, uh, programming other things. I said I took a break from games, and I realized that for me, my, you know, making games was really hard. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about the technology. The the technology was easier, but um, the gameplay, game design, you know, all of those things that make a game fun, uh, that was not really my strength. And then. Sometime in 2010, I put together a team to work on the real-time architecture visualizations. And then something else happened. Unreal and Unity, all these uh, engines, they, they almost became free. So when they became free, it didn't make any more sense for me to sit and write an engine that would you know, allow me to do architecture visualizations. I might as well use Unreal and Unity. So therefore, I stopped work on Renderby. I shut it down. Um, I also had to, uh, you know, lay off the team because now we were not going to do um, architecture visualizations. After that, I, I've always wanted to make a game that was based in India, and um, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and make this game in Unreal, and it's going to be for VR. Um, 
And there's a reason why I chose VR. Uh, that's because um, I knew there was no way that I was going to be able to compete with, you know, with other mobile phone games or other PC games. Um, so it had to be in a market where it was relatively easier to compete. So I chose VR and uh, I made VLR 80. So Thomas, I think, you know, you, you, you said a lot of things. So I'm just going to break it down for the audience. You know, you said that you started in early uh, uh, 2000s, that that was your first game which you built, which was Coda, which, which was a Rubik's Cube simulator. From there on, you went to building a second game, which was titled IO. And what you did was you built your own gaming engine. And, and from there, you mentioned that you, uh, the, from the gaming industry, you, you kind of pivoted. And you looked at from the gaming, you looked at the enterprise side and you built Renderby, which is an architecture uh, visualization tool. From there, again, you went and built the same thing, which was browser based. So this is too many things kind of, uh, you know, I, I want you to try and compress it and simplify this to my audience further. A, talk about the first game, Coda, uh, that you, you said that there, there was uh, cube solving AI over there. Maybe maybe address that talk that talk talk to me about that and because two it was the, the game was two thousand right nineteen ninety nine two thousand uh, how did you uh, leverage AI uh, for cube solving talk about your game engine and, and then also talk about this pivot that you mentioned you know you built your uh, after building your game engine you you went and built your own architecture uh, visualization tool uh, maybe address that also um, if those cube solving algorithms. Um, I did not invent these algorithms. There are cube solving solutions, right? I just um, I wrote an algorithm, I mean, I just converted that into uh, code. And uh, so that was the game. And it had two modes. You, it had this mode where the computer would jumble up a cube for you and, you, and present it to you and you would have to solve the cube. Or if you had a cube at home and if you wanted to solve your cube, um, you would get a blank cube on the screen and you could paint it the way your physical cube was. And then you could ask the computer to solve it for you and you could follow it step by step and you would have a solved cube in hand. So that was the game, right? And one of the, from a graphical point of view, it also had a real-time per pixel lighting. Um, just to, you know, that's one of those things that I, I found very interesting back then. Um, yeah, so that was the Coda game. And that was a free game. It was released for free on some websites and all of that um yeah so that was coda you, you want to uh, talk a little bit more about the the gaming engine that you built i wrote the entire 3d rendering graphics library uh for for coda which meant um, you would have to start off from the pixel right how would you put a pixel on the screen so it started from there right and um, that was a lot of fun programming because you could directly access video card memory um, back in the day, you had something called VGA cards. So you'd have to program and you'd have to put a certain value in a certain memory location if you wanted to light up a pixel on the screen. So you start from there, you would, you would plot a pixel on the screen, and then you will learn how to draw lines, and then you will learn how to draw triangles, and then you will learn how to make 3D cubes, <laughs> right? And then you would have the Rubik's Cube, and um, on top of that, I added the Pixel lighting thing, and uh, that was it. That was a very basic, um, you know, very basic 3D engine. It had support for you know keyboard, and it it also had support for the, for a mouse under DOS. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the engine back then for for Coda. The technology which is in the hype cycle today is the metaverse, you know, and there's a lot of inter- interpretations by various uh, front movers of the technology. Somebody who's been invested in the space for over 20 plus years. Uh, would you be able to kind of define what metaverse is? But the metaverse is not a new term or concept, right? Um, it's more than two decades old. Um, I mean, there is this novel called Snow Crash, uh, which was which came out sometime early 1990s. And that book introduced the concept of the metaverse and the term itself. I remember uh, some 20 years ago reading about you know, John Carmack's motivation for multiplayer quake. And that was 20 years ago. And his motivation was the metaverse, right? Now, the question is, what is the metaverse? Um, to me, the metaverse is just a, you know, a confined multiplayer space, right? Uh, for instance, you have games like World of Warcraft, which allows you to have thousands of players playing on one server at a time. And they're all interacting with each other. Um, um, and, and in modern times, like today, you have games like Fortnite, which allows hundreds of players to connect together in on a server at the same time, right? You extend that, right? Uh, not just for gaming, but for any other kind of activity as well. And you extend it by the number of people who can simultaneously connect. And then you, be, at that point, you're beginning to build on what is known as the metaverse, right? Now, if you could have millions of people connecting together in a, in a, in a virtual space, right? And uh, they could, not everyone has to be playing games. You would have a bunch of people playing games in one corner. You might have other people just taking a stroll down, you know, down a lane. So this world, which allows you to just log in and um, experience this alternate reality or a second life, if you may, uh, this world is the metaverse. People like to associate 3D computer graphics with the metaverse because uh, the, the book, Snow Crash, from back then, um, you know, describe the metaverse in a particular way where people just, you know, uh, logged in and they would interact and do things. Now, when you modern day metaverse, like the one Facebook keeps talking about, I mean, their goals are, you know, as much bigger from the original idea of the metaverse, right? Where everybody just logs into the computer and plays a game or something. Uh, it, it, it is much more advanced than that. Uh, by that, I mean, you have... Okay, first of all, the metaverse is going to be very difficult to build, right? Just for one company, because it's like the internet, right? Um, it is a, it, the internet is there. No one single company owns it, and no one single person creates all, all the content on the internet, right? The metaverse has to be that way. It's just a space. Anybody can create content and put on there, and everybody else can come in and join it uh, and experience it. So what companies like Facebook and or anybody else who's trying to create the metaverse can do is they can they can just create the space or platform for others to come and create content on top of it and engage. Now, Facebook is uniquely um, positioned to advance um, the metaverse because they have a couple of things going on for them. One is that they have they've already with their social media platform connected a whole bunch of people. Right now, on top of that, they have 
they have some advanced hardware um, in, in the fields of VR. Uh, and then there's also AR, right? So the metaverse that I see is that you would have the space where people can just log in and experience the world. They don't really have to use VR goggles or whatnot. They can just experience it on a PC, on a flat screen, right? Um, and uh, that is one way to do it. And if you have VR headsets, maybe you could you know, get another level of immersion and you could walk around and do things. But it could also be AR, right? You could just be going around in real life, doing your, you know, you know, going on with your day, but you have your AR glasses and whatnot. And whatever information that exists in the metaverse can be augmented onto your AR glasses. So you might be looking at something, but you're still seeing metaverse-related information on the real world. So, um, and Facebook is uniquely positioned to do that because they, they have all this hardware, you know, that they're working on, VR and AR and all of that. And then they also have the social media platforms that allow all these connections to happen. So, so I, I think that's what the metaverse is. It's going to be this huge space where people connect in and then they create all this content and uh, you know, everybody just enjoys their experiences. And it doesn't have to be merely for fun. It can also be you know, for education and, and other business commerce with purposes as well. It's a very exciting space. I guess, you know, we, we just, obviously you mentioned, you know, because there's so many guys who are kind of, you know, giving out the explanation, you know, what the metaverse is going to be. But I think it's all assumptions because I guess, you know, once it comes together, it, it, it's not going to be one technology. It's not going to be just augmented reality, virtual yeah. reality, mixed reality, you know, and even if it's all of those three layers are there, you, you, you need various underlying, uh, you know, tech stack to kind of drive the conversation forward because, you know, you'll need 5G, you know, to drive the high bandwidth, bandwidth, low latency bit. You'll need AI to, you know, for for your uh, your digital intelligent avatars. You know, you'll need IoT for uh, possibly physically. Uh, scanning scanning those physical objects you know bringing into the digital world you also mentioned about augmented reality where you could just be walking and there'll be these layers of information out there you know annotated and you know you could learn from it and and, and you mentioned that you know it could be used for education healthcare and now tell me you know there are these companies such as nvidia who are going a little bit beyond they pushing the boundary you said you know it it doesn't necessarily have to be 3d it could be 3d it could be 2d it could be a mix of all, all of those and we're just laying the building blocks but to mention about nvidia jensen wong the ceo was mentioning and he's working on you know when, when he's working on his uh, platform omniverse he's looking at simulating even the physics uh, around and, and there are there are companies who, who are working on the haptic feedbacks and stuff like that and, and games largely I think you know the reason I think gaming the industry has really accelerated because unlike your your entertainment con content it's always passive because you just sit and watch you're not interactive you're not interacting with the content and gaming gives you that experience it brings the thrill out on in you that you are part of it and now the gameplay itself is changing you know with, with you know tech stacks such as virtual reality coming in tech stacks such as haptic feedback coming in where you could be touch feeling the virtual world and then there's this artificial intelligence which is going bonkers you know bonkers in the space you know we can do right now you know ai which is text to code text to image text to video generation How's all this going to impact? What what what's the future of gaming look looks like according to you for someone who's been vested in the space for the longest 
time and then being in it what's the future of the gaming how is it going to look like and maybe address that the metaverse part itself is it going to be similar to a physical world see there's a space for all kinds of games right i mean uh, even now there's a space for flat 2d games right and 2d games have already ex- always existed for the longest time uh, there will always be a space for that there will always be a space for simple i mean by simple i mean non vr 3d games um, you might have techno- new technologies coming in and all of that and all of these technologies will only enhance these kinds of games but but i think it'll mostly be these same things you might have new additions you might have holographic you know games where you could uh, you know interact with holograms and all of those things might come but i think pretty much it's going to be the same you might have new categories but um, you will have flat screen games and you will have 2d games and you will have virtual reality games with haptic feedback as you were saying i i think it's pretty much going to be these things but of course the graphics will improve the intelligence will improve the gameplay will improve i i i pretty much see it that way the, the reason i'm saying this because you know forever we been restricted to a 2d interface when we physically experience everything in 3d and through our interface which is you know about to change you know with these head wearable devices which are just coming in you know possibly i think almost or some of the big brands are working on it and i think you know apple should be launching maybe the first quarter of 2023 uh geo is launching maybe the end of the year and and i think that's that's going to be a game changer because as soon as you launch i mean uh, uh, make it accessible for the common man then the entire world becomes a screen and then we start experiencing things in 3d you know exactly how we experience in a real life so i feel personally that you know that's going to be a complete complete game changer now you have just created blr 80 a new game before we get into the gaming and and the process of the game building why don't you talk to us about the the world that you have imagined ba- bangalore uh, 80 what 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 what's the story behind it concept behind it so as i was saying earlier i've been wanting to make a game that was set in india in 2020 i thought okay there is unreal engine now and uh, maybe i can just make a small game and the goal was just to make a small short game um something that i could do by myself and so i'm not a big uh, proponent of stories in games uh i like to keep the story very light i just need the action or the challenge or some puzzle or something um so the story was you know uh, was actually an afterthought <laughs> uh the 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 main thing that i wanted in the game was that i need guns and i need to shoot at something and i don't really like humans i find humans really boring to shoot at in games um so i i, I either prefer robots or you know aliens or demons right so in this game i set about making robots and and then i put together a story and the story is okay there's some back story to the main story but the back story is that in the year 2030 there is a war and um it, it's all cyber warfare and um india is part of the war as well and india and because there's a cyber warfare um there is a lot of ai and agi involved um but somehow uh india wins the war right and that is because of a particular company called oji right and and a technique and a technology that they developed it's called uh, symbiotic intelligence uh and and that is what uh, helped the country win the war and so what is symbiotic intelligence 
Um, it's um, it's uh, uh, it's a method where human brains connect with uh, with the computer, and the human brains are the ones that are actually doing the computing, right? So, in the context of OJI, um, there is a central computing cortex, um, which is called the CCC, which is a computer actually. All that it does is it delegates tasks to human brains that are connected to it. Now, these human brains that are connected to it are normal individuals, right? Uh, like you and I, and uh, we choose to link with the CCC, right? And there's a certain cutoff in terms of IQ, right? You need to be a high IQ individual to be able to take part in the program and you interface with the CCC using a you know brain neural interface. And once you do that, the CCC can you know, assign you tasks, which your brain can then compute and send the data back. Now, what is also interesting there is that all of this computing is done um, unconsciously, right? For, for instance, if the computer were to give you a task like multiply two four-digit numbers, you don't have to mentally consciously think about it. The brain just does it, right? Um, well, at least that's the fiction in the, in the, in the story. So, so this happens, and, and, and because of symbiotic intelligence, India wins the war, and um, this technology catches on. Uh, and over the next few decades, it advances, and a lot of things change. A lot of people with high IQs within the country, they all, you know, plug in. Not, through the, not, not over the course of a whole day, but, you know, like, like a nine-to-five job. They just plug in, and, and then they do all these tasks that the computer assigns them to, and then they plug out, and then they continue with their lives, right? So these individuals with high IQs, right, in society, um, they, they obviously become very successful. They make lots of money and all of that. They become the new the new upper caste people, right? They're, they're called BGVs, right? And uh, the ones with <laughs> not so high IQs, right, the ones that are not qualified to connect, uh, they're called the bill ones, right? Uh, so there is that stratification in society. And, and life goes on, right? But over the next few decades, what happens is OJI, um, they begin to get very greedy with, you know, power and all of that. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the version of SI, symbiotic intelligence, it keeps advancing. And come 2079, they're about to release a new update. And, and this new update, what's going to happen with that update is that they're going to have control over your brain, right? And, and you're not going to be able to stop them. They can just log into your brain. And, and then you at that point, you just become a zombie, right? They can ask you, they can make you do anything, right? So they're working on that uh, update. And um, in the game, you play as the, you play an engineer who used to work with OJI and who becomes aware of this particular plan. And uh, you blow the whistle and, uh, you know, everybody's against you. They come, you become a fugitive. Society doesn't believe you. The usual stuff, right? Society doesn't believe you. You become a fugitive. But you realize that even though the media, the people, society, they don't believe this, the update is going to happen. December 31st, 2079, this update is going to happen. And then from that point on, it's too late. So you decide, okay, you've got to do something. So there's this little window uh, uh, where you are able to access the mainframe computers in the science station. You take advantage of that, and, and you're supposed to get to the mainframe computers and uh, you know infiltrate the uh, infiltrate the computing station and 
and make sure that the update doesn't happen. That's what the game is. Whatever you mentioned, you know, there are people who are kind of already, you know, doing this bit, you know, when you're talking about, you know, what symbiotic uh, intelligence, you know, there's Neuralink who are already, and, and it's not just Neuralink, there's Kernel and so many others who are already working on brain-computer interface. So th this, this actually seems like something which could possibly happen in the near future because you know with 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 the, with the way technology is growing you know yeah, I, I believe i think you know if we do not have conversations you know where we involve the 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 larger uh, community the larger people i think tech can be something it, it it can be something which could go very dystopian also but i i'm not someone who's a proponent of uh, you know i've always been someone who uh, says that you know tech is that uh, partner which can create a great future if we kind of handhold and create a conversation where the tech goes uh, you know it, it benefits everyone when does this gameplay come online and how can uh, we experience this game Okay, so the game goes live today. So by the time I suppose the podcast is um, is on, uh, people can actually uh, uh, you know download and play the game. It's available on both Meta and Steam, right? And it is VR only. How excited are you for India's XR ecosystem? What do you think can be done to grow the ecosystem? Is Atman Software funded? And what comes next? Well, I don't think in terms of India, uh, but generally the the you know, we live in very exciting times, right? Um, the technologies and the and the and the jump in technologies that we see in our lifetimes are 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 very large, like the internet and then virtual reality, three um, D graphic, all of this, like pretty large. And um, even VR itself, right? Uh, the the way these headsets are, sh are shrinking, like if you look at how it went from Rift to Quest. That itself is a huge jump, right? With the Rift, you had external sensors and all of that. But with the Rift, completely, you know, wireless and uh, inside-out tracking and all of that. It's, 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 it's amazing what the Rift, the Quest does. And now you have headsets with higher pixel density and, you know, higher resolutions and, you know, eye tracking, you know, all of these things coming in. And they're, they're also getting smaller, right? At some point, you might have all of these things as a, contact lens that you just wear, right? So the future looks, you know, extremely, extremely exciting <laughs> to me, right? And I'm, you know, I, I'm glad that I live in these times, right? <clears throat> and of course, like, you know, because these technologies are going to evolve and all of that, every country that participates in these things also benefit. So India also stands to benefit. Uh, my last question to you, uh, the future of gaming, you know, because it's, it's, it's looking superbly exciting. Like you mentioned, you know, I mean, we, we shrinking technology, you know, uh, we, we going from uh, possibly like these big, big bulky virtual reality headset to possibly lenses and then lenses to you mentioned in your game, <laughs> BLR80, there's brain computer interface, you know, where you'll be possibly inside a simulation playing a game. Uh, hey, I mean, that's that's too future way off, you know, but, you know, today we have these games where, you know, where you have earned to play games, learned to play games. We, we gamificate, we gamificate, is the gamification of everything, you know, we gamifying education, we gamifying healthcare, uh, we, we, we gamifying work. In, in this uh, scenario, how do you think games are going to impact the world? Well, games will always be around. 
right? They've always been around. They will always be around. I think we are sitting in exciting space. And I think, you know, there's more need for us to ask these deep questions, you know, because while we answer these deep questions, which could look a little silly and stupid at this point of time, in the next couple of years, these stand to become reality. And I guess, you know, we as, you know, people who are in this ecosystem as the front runners, it, it, it helps if we kind of, you know, make the road, you know, I, I mean, a little clearer, you know, by, you know, not just kind of painting or, you know, making people understand what the, the ecosystem is today, but what it's going to look like tomorrow. What that will do, I feel, is, is that the ones who are just about getting into the ecosystem, they'll be a little bit more prepared to build, you know, play a role in building that future, which is possibly more beneficial. Because I think so far, all of our industries have been very top-down, hierarchical, very, very uh, self-preserving. But I guess, you know, the the... You know the, the future. You know what we are building. We saying we building the metaverse or we building the web three. Uh, we, we we talk about these big terms. Throw these big things like you know decentralization, <laughs> interoperability, which nobody is ready for. But I I think that what I try and address through these uh, uh, the podcast is, is not just the simple things of how it's addressed. You know, but in a broader way, so everybody you know tries to think a little little broad you know and not narrow because we we, we we are living in an exciting space and we living in a world where uh, we're having conversations is so very important because through conversations there are chances of anybody and everybody who's honest to his profession you know reach out to a, a wider wider audience and i do this in, in that hope i'm a fan of your work though i have not seen your work or neither experience those gains but when i when i speak to you i i feel your honesty and i feel your hunger of uh, you know uh, the intent of building you know games which can reach out to uh, a larger audience and i i need to stress out this out to my listeners that building a game is shit fucking difficult you know and you need a, a huge company to do that and here you are a single person doing the entire back end all by yourself so kudos to you and wish you a lot of success thank you for taking time and being part of the podcast i wish you a lot of success with BR, blr 80 and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye thank you thank you so much really appreciate this thank you very